Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. While you're getting there, um, I, I may mispronounce your name, Brother, Brother Stankus, is that right? He said something about 2 Corinthians 8. I asked everybody to turn to 2 Corinthians 8 in Sunday school, and then I never read the verse. Let me give you these verses while you find 2 Peter 3. And anyways, it's Titus and two men are headed to Corinth to finish in that church the doctrine of the grace of giving. All right? And on one side of Titus, there is the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. That's verse 18. On his other side, verse 22, we have sent with him our brother, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but how much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. So we find a brother whose praise was among the churches. And we find a brother whose proof was among the church. All right, now, of those two men, here's what Paul said in verse 23, or our brethren be inquired of. If you have a question, if Corinth, the church of God at Corinth, has a question about these two brothers with Titus, he said they are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. A man who was praised by the churches and the gospel throughout all the churches. A man who was proven by Paul and the churches. These two men were entitled as the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. That is, from what I have learned, what I have studied, the best biblical definition of a missionary. They are a messenger of the churches and the glory of Christ. That's where I was headed this morning, and I forgot to read it. So, all right, so you're in 2 Peter 3, and uh, why don't you just remain seated? I want to read 15 verses, and just simply the, the thought this morning is the long-suffering of our Lord. All right, the long-suffering of our Lord. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Here the Bible says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. He's referring to the flood of God's judgment in the days of Noah. Verse 7, But the heavens and the earth which are now, 
by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. God promised Noah with the rainbow he'd never destroy the world, with the world by water again. But with fire it shall be done. And it's reserved and kept in store unto that day. Verse 8. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things, the heavens and the earth, the elements, shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of Him in peace, without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Amen. The long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, Lord, I come now in Jesus' name. I thank you for this time. I thank you for the truth of your word which is before us. I pray that your word would have free course in our hearts and in our midst. And Lord, we help me to get this thought across Lord, the burden of our heart that your people edify the saints, notify that sinner that might be in the midst this morning. I pray now in Jesus' name, amen and amen. And say there in Second Peter, unless you want to turn to Psalm 103, I should have had you, excuse me, yeah, Psalm 103, verse 8, I should have had you mark these psalms. But Psalm 103 and verse number 8, I want to read a couple of, or three verses here, a couple from the Psalms. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in Amen. mercy. There is a definition for the long-suffering of our Lord. Now, Psalm 145, and verse 8. Psalm 145, verse number 8. Again, I want to define the long-suffering of our Lord. Uh, verse chapter 145, book of Psalms, verse 8, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. Now find the book of Nahum, if you will, chapter 1. We might all have a little trouble finding that book. Amen. Uh, the minor prophets, Micah, and then Nahum. Then Habakkuk, Nahum chapter 1. We rejoice and we should that the Lord is gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy, of great mercy 
Nahum chapter 1, verse 3. We find the definition in him, uh, but we see it in a, in a fuller sense. I know this is the burden of Nineveh uh, from Nahum, but it's concerning the character of God. Nahum 1, verse 3, so it applies to all men and in all days. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. And so the long-suffering of the Lord will run into the judgment of the Lord. And so it has, and so it does, and so it will. But before I give you the thought on the long-suffering of the Lord, why did Peter write the book? I read in your hearing chapter 3, uh, the first 15 verses, but in the first two verses of chapter 3, he says, this is why I wrote this book. Number one, he says in both words, I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. So he wrote to stir the saints, to, to stir them to remembrance. All right? Verse 2, why? That they might be mindful of the words. So he wrote, he wrote to remind them and he wrote to reinforce them to get them thinking about the words he says which were spoken before by the Holy Prophets. Well, what is that? That's your Old Testament. And of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Watch that. That's your New Testament. You know what Peter is saying in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2? I want you, beloved, to stir up your pure minds, to be stirred in your pure minds, and remember what? Your Bible. I want you to think about the Old Testament. I want you to think about the New Testament that's being written, the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So he wrote then to stir the saints, and in doing so, he points them to the Word of God. But as you continue through the chapter, he also writes to silence the scoffer. All right? right. Now, in every day and in every age, there has been God's people, and then there's been the devil's people. Okay. And it's no different today. We have saints in the world, but we have scoffers in the world. And the scoffers mock and they ridicule, and they protest, and they persecute, and they make mouths and make fun of God's people. And Peter gives here one of their quotations, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, since the days that our fathers died, since the beginning of creation, all things continue as they are and as they were. And here's what Peter has to say. If you recall the flood in Noah's day, it came to pass. But not only the flood of Noah's day, there's the fire in the coming day, and it will come to pass. And so what Peter is saying, that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. So my first thought this morning, in view of the saints, and in view of the scoffers who ridicule, who persecute, who mock and make mouths and faces, if you will, at God, and deny the fact He's coming as He said He would come, the first thing 
Peter wants us to understand is number one, it's real simple, is the Word of God. All right? I don't have time to develop it, but in chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, Paul, or excuse me, Peter, I'm so used to preaching after Paul, Peter mentions the prophecy of the Scripture. It was given not in the old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So in chapter 1, he points them to the prophecy of Scripture. So he is emphasizing or underlining the, the, the fact that the Word of God has a prophetic element to it. It foretells what God foreknows. All right, There's the prophecy of the Scripture. Then in chapter 2, as he deals with false teachers, look if you will to verse 22. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. What's the proverb, Peter? The dog is turned to his own vomit again. That's a quotation of Proverbs 26, verse 11. Not only do the prophecies come true, but the proverbs are true. He points them to the prophecy of Scripture. He points them to the, the proverbs or the wisdom of Scripture. Then in chapter 3, I know you, you probably picked up on it, but in verse 4, in verse 9... And in verse 13, three times we mention, is mentioned His promise. Obviously, he's talking about a specific promise, the promise of His coming. Which promise includes many promises? One of them is the promise of a new heaven and a new earth. And so Peter, and don't misunderstand, Peter is actually looking beyond the rapture of the church. He mentions the day of the Lord in verse number 10. That it will come as a thief in the night. In, in other words, this is the moment after the rapture, at the end of this tribulation period, when Christ Jesus will descend out of heaven on a white horse, and the armies of heaven, the saints of God, the Old Testament saints, the angels of God, all the armies of heaven will be behind Him, and they'll all be on white horses, will be riding out for war, but we won't ever have to draw the first sword, because He'll destroy them with the breath of His mouth, in the brightness of His coming, and the Antichrist will be put down, and the thousand-year kingdom of Christ will be ushered in, the millennial reign we call it, but in those days, and in those moments, Unwary men who say peace, peace will be called off guard and will be taken by surprise. And three and a half years prior to Christ's coming, there will be unimaginable horrors and terrors released from heaven and from hell upon this earth. But before that, Peter says, his promise. They may scoff at His promise. They may mock and say, where is your Savior now? You think with me. You think about our heritage and our history of the saints down through the years. Imagine what they heard when they were nailed to stakes and those bundles of sticks were laid down at their feet and the oil and the pitch was poured on over the head and dripping down, and they would light that bundle of sticks at the feet of those martyrs, and they would become living candles, and they would burn alive, and there was also other forms of torture. But while they burned, wonder what they heard from the scoffers who not only ridiculed them, but tortured, persecuted, and murdered them. But all the while, what did they do? They sang while they burned. 
and that derived from the one who gave his life for them. Why? Because they knew something of the word of God. So in this chapter, he's referring us to his promise. So here's what I want you to think about this long suffering of our Lord. I'm going to deal with that more in just a minute. But trying to lay a foundation. Number one, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. So the Lord's plan and the Lord's purpose this morning. You study the book of Ephesians chapter 3 verse 11, you'll find that the eternal purpose of God is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It was in God's mind and God's purpose before the world was ever founded to send His Son and He would be slain on the cross and out of His bleeding side would come the bride of Christ, the, the church, and though the Jews didn't see it, and though Peter and the apostles didn't see it right there at the start, they expected the kingdom to be restored. God knew at the right moment, at the right point in history, He would interject the church, and there would be a period, there would be a big gap, and there would be an age of grace, and the church would be here, and the gospel would be pronounced, and both Jew and Gentile would come to Christ, and then Christ would come secretly about the tops of the mountains in the air to catch His wedding bride, rescue her from the wrath that is to come and then seven years later after all those years of false peace and then all those years of fury and wrath from the wrath of the Lamb and the face of the Lamb on the throne there in heaven he would come again and he would put down the rule, he would establish his kingdom and then at the end of that period the day of God would begin and the fire would come and the elements would, ne would never permeate and I believe that God will, will produce something that man has never seen and every atom will be released and there will be some sort of nuclear fire and the earth and the elements and all shall melt with a fervent heat and the earth and heavens will pass away with a great noise. That's God's plan. That's God's purpose. And then at the end of all that what happens? A new heaven and a new earth. And we're looking for that promise. Amen. We're longing what we should be for that promise. And that doctrine of the second coming of Christ should not just make us long, should not just make us look, but it should make us pause for just a moment and consider ourselves. First John 3, and, and, and we know every man that had this hope in him purified himself. And I don't have time to deal with all that, but it should make us be a sanctified people. Not only in our position, but in our practice, where we are seeking in all manner of conversation and godliness to be these manner. He says, what manner of person ought you to be? We ought to be a holy people looking for a holy God. But for now, why has Christ not come? Maybe you've not realized it, but the hour has grown darker. And just last year, Things have grown so much darker. Seems like the, not just the left, but the wicked, the side of the wicked, seems like their voice has grown so much louder. Seems like in many of our churches, the voices have grown so much quieter. When we should be proclaiming louder, seems like things are growing quieter on the side of right and growing louder on the side of wrong. 
But don't forget the plan and purpose of God is still going according to plan. He's still on the throne. And though the hour is growing darker, it's all unfolding as He knew and prophesied that it would. We're in the falling away, by the way. It is happening all around us. But He's not slack. This means that He's not delayed His coming. Hebrews 10, 37, He that shall come will come and will not tarry. He's not bearing His coming. Right. He's not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness. So here I want you to think about the Lord's promise. I've already told you what His promise was, that He's coming. Jesus said, I will come again, John 14, 3. There's a whole lot we could say about that. But not only the Lord's promise, but the Lord's perspective. He's not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness. So he's not talking about counting one, two, three, four, but just for sake of, of an illustration, God doesn't count like we do. Right. Verse 8, look at it, would you? What did he say in chapter 3, verse 8? Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Now let's do a little math. Christ was born 2,000, a little over, what, 2,000 years ago. He ascended back to the Father on high a little under 2,000 years ago. One day with the Lord is a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. From earth, it seems like it's been a long time since Christ was here. But from heaven's perspective, everything's different. It's not even been quite two days since he first stepped foot back home. It's not been that long, brother. The Lord's not slack concerning His promise. God's perspective changes everything. Where do you obtain God's perspective? From the Word of God. The prophecies. The Proverbs. The promises. Hey, this book speaks to every area of life. Don't let the new evangelicals lie to you. They're lying and they're loud and yes, I believe in personal liberty. Oh, yes. But there's a whole lot fewer areas than they would have you to believe that this Bible is silent. Right. Where the Bible is silent, or maybe not perfectly clear, we can give liberty. But where the Bible speaks, brethren, we are only at liberty to live by its Right. That's a rabbit I ran it. I think I shot him dead. All right. Let's go back to where we were. The perspective concerning the long suffering of God doesn't come from the world. Hey, things are growing darker, brethren. But, but keep looking up. Why? Because he's coming. And it's only been two days since Jesus stepped foot back in heaven. What a reunion that was. Amen. Now, the Word of God, where you're going to not only find a perspective, but the Word of God should always lead us to understand the will of God. All right? So what's the will of God? Look at verse, preachers have already said this, and I praise the Lord for that, it helps me. What's the will of God? The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, there's the Word of God, as some men count slackness, gives us the right perspective, but is long-suffering to us, not willing. 
ترین Perspective is not the latest coming. 
certainly. But he's waiting so that one more can get in. So that one more can find their way in the family. So that one more can hear of the Son of God. Why? Because He's patient. Because He's pity. Hey, Christ did not come for a select few. But you see in Christ both piety and pity. And so divine compassion, divine love, divine truth, divine grace, divine mercy was embodied in Jesus Christ. And grace and truth and God's love came down to man. And so Christ tasted death by the grace of God for every man. He did not do that in vain. And so, yes, God knows when the last one will be saved. But He is waiting so that one more, ten more, a hundred more, a thousand more could be saved. God does not will that any. Contrary to what some would teach you, God did not choose and ordain and decree that this half dies and goes to hell for his pleasure. And I, I'm aware that God will, will receive pleasure and, and, and worship. All things that he's done is right, and all things were created right. for his pleasure. Even those that die and go to hell, I'm aware of the fact that there will be pleasure. All right? Not pleasure, but there will be the... the, the let me rephrase that. God is not pleased with the death of the wicked. All right. He's not going to receive pleasure at seeing them die and go to hell, but God will receive the worship at the end of all this. And all things in hell, all things under the earth or in hell, all things on the earth and all things in heaven, they will all bow and give glory to the Father as they confess the name of Jesus Christ and that He is Lord. But God does not will for any man to suffer under His wrath and hell and the lake of fire for all eternity. You would never get me to believe that God's will is for any man, any woman, any boy, any girl to die and go to hell. Why? Because He's not willing that any should perish. Now let me ask you this question, are we? I'm asking myself this question. When I look at my prayer life, when I look at my giving, when I look at my going, look at my witnessing, am I willing for souls to perish? God's not. The will of God is that none should perish. He's long suffering. I'm glad He was patient with me. I didn't get saved the first time that He called on me. Even as a nine year old boy, it wasn't the first time He called on me that I got saved. I thank God he dealt with me and he didn't have to. But I'm glad he did. I'm glad of his patience. I'm glad of his pity. That's God's will. Not that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, now notice that. That all should come. God's word reveals God's will. And as I see his will, that he's not willing, he's long-suffering rather to us, we're not willing that any should perish, that, that moves me to see God's welcome. That all should come. Did you hear it? That all should come. Pastor said it already. Whosoever will may come. Red, yellow, black, and white, they are all precious in His sight. The welcome of God is that all men should come 
to repent. Now, there's a few things we ought to consider. Uh, the Lord's invitation is all should come. But there is a stipulation. And that is what I would call the Lord's instruction. What did he say? That all should come one to repent. God does have terms when it comes to salvation. There's but one way to heaven. His name is Jesus. He said while on the earth, John 14, verse 5, Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? Jesus is talking about going to prepare a place. If I go, I'll come again. Thomas didn't understand what he was saying. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. But Lord, how can we get there? How can we know the way? You know what Jesus answered to him was? Jesus said unto him, I am the way be true, and be life. No man. Here's the, here's the terms. Here's the exclusion. No man comes unto the Father. John chapter 10, you back up to chapter, what did Jesus Christ say in the parable of the sheep there? He said, I am the door by me if any man, no man, chapter 14, but here he says, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. So it's inclusive that it invites all men. All right? But it's exclusive in that it says no man enters in but by Jesus Christ the Lord. So the terms you can find all through the scriptures here, it's only mentioned, if you will, let me just preach it as it's mentioned, but that all should come to repentance. And the gospel is such that as the gospel is preached, that Christ died for the sins of the whole world, and that he was buried, and then that he rose from the day, the, th the third day, rose from the dead, the third day, according to the scriptures, as you preach that message, and you declare to men that Christ is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world, you, you preach and proclaim to men that Christ is God's answer for the sins of the whole world, and he has satisfied the righteous and holy demands of the Father, that Christ was made sin for us, and now we who are sinners can be made the very righteousness of God in Him. What happens is the Holy Ghost shows man who's lost that there's a problem. And the problem is his sin and her sin. And a choice has to be made. You're either going to go with God and with Christ or you're going to stay with self and with sin. That's repentance. You see from the scriptures just how wicked, desperately wicked, Jeremiah said, chapter 17. The, man, the heart of man is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. And you will either come to that recognition and that admission and flee to Christ as a hopeless, helpless sinner, like the publican, Luke 18, verse 13, I believe it is, where he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Or, you will say, I think I'm all right. I don't need anybody to save me. As one man said on my job many years, he said, me and God, we've got this worked out. You've got your way, and I've got my way.
I said, no, that's not the right. It's, it's his way. Or there is no way. So the, the terms are that a man must agree with God and come God's way. That's repentance. It seems in mind. It's deciding against yourself in favor of God. And the judgment he's already passed on. And of course, faith, uh, repentance leads into faith. Faith is deciding for oneself, not against oneself, but for oneself in favor of Christ. It's that face that was, that heart that was face down in repentance. It's the heart being face up saying, Oh God, save me. I cannot save myself. That's the instruction. That's the terms. That is the welcome of God. But you see, that's the offense of the cross. Is that you must declare Christ as Savior. Oh yes. But they don't want to hear the fact that man is a sinner. And that God cannot accept us in our sins. He finds us in our sins. He finds us with our sins. But we have to turn to God as we respond to His drawing hand with a willingness to leave all that behind. And we cling to Christ and His cross. Knowing it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to His mercy that He saves us. It's His blood, His grace, and His righteousness. And so God said, the mouth of Peter, he's not willing that any should perish. He does not want you to remain in your sins and suffer under his wrath against your sins and your soul for all eternity. He would much rather that all come to repentance. That is, come to his side on this matter. Come to terms with your sin and his son, that he's right. And you're wrong. Repentance is not works for salvation. I'm not preaching you've got to quit all your sin before you can get saved. I'm not preaching you've got to leave your sin before you can get saved. But that change of mind that's wrong by the Holy Ghost and the Word of God, as you receive the life that God shines in your heart by the glorious gospel of Christ, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6, that darkened, blinded mind and heart of the sinner who's lost. The gospel signs in to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And when you catch a glimpse of that holy and wonderful face, you are facing the choice. And there would be, though you may not even realize it, there will be within the heart that longs for Christ a willingness to leave all that behind. And then what happens when you find that He saved your soul? You find that He made you brand new. And then you start to bring forth works needed for repentance. That faith that you placed in Christ, it brings forth works. Faith begins to work by love. And there is an evidence of saving faith and true repentance. And that is what God is longing for. So, so don't, don't see all that's going on and think that God has delayed His coming. Right. He has not. He's coming right on time, just as He said He would. But Peter said it like this. He's not slack, but He's long-suffering. Yeah. So why did He not come this morning? 
so that one more could get saved. So that one more could hear. So that one more might come, might fall, might confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. The glory of God the Father. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. Call up yonder, I'll be